0: Leave babies alone. Ah. Uh. Now, not alone in the house. Hi, welcome to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, publishing, parenthood, and marriage. I'm Morgan Baden, and with me is my co-host, and my husband, and my baby daddy, and a writer. And the guy who just cooked us burgers. Yeah. Yeah, Barry Liga.
1: Yeah, I did. Short order cook.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's me. <laughs> and for the record, I am i don't eat red meat, so mine was a veggie burger.
1: Mine was a veggie burger, too.
0: It was. You're e- expanding your boundaries in your mind right well, now. Well, it's because How, somebody,
1: somebody has finally made a veggie burger that kind of tastes like meat, so I went
0: with it. <laughs> anyway, so um, it was funny because, as most of our listeners know, we've taken basically the whole month of October off. Yeah. Inadvertently. Um, But before that, I was going to raise the idea with you of doing the podcast every other week instead of every week, because it just felt like it started to feel like a lot over the summer. And I felt like every time I was hosting, I was scrambling to find stuff to talk about, like meaty
1: stuff. Yeah, I didn't want to say anything.
0: Shut up. Um, And then the funny thing is, is, of course, we go on this inadvertent hiatus and... I ended up, I feel like everywhere I looked, I was like, I want to talk about that on the podcast. I want to talk about that. So I sent myself all of these links over the past couple of weeks. So, all of this is to say, I feel like I have a a nice, dense show for us right now. All right. So, I'm going to dive in. Cool. We're going to start with writing stuff and then I will transition into parenting stuff. So, for those of you who don't care about the writing stuff, you can hit that handy little. Hey, no, no, they got to listen to the whole thing. (laughs) Okay. So, I came across this really fun text analysis. Thing, so we'll put the we'll put the link in the show notes. But uh, it's this fellow named Mark Ellen Thornton. His website, and he's a data guy. Okay, and he put together this project basically um, where you submit your own text, and then using uh, all of the writers and the pieces of literature that are open source, and then tells you where you rank against them. Like, who do you write like? Oh, so it was really fun, and that's what it's called: Who do you write like? So, um. I did it. Okay. So I put in the first two chapters of the YA that I have since shelved that Okay. all of you guys know about, which probably you don't know that I shelved it, but I have. Anyway, and my top match was Lucy Maud Montgomery.
1: I don't even know who that is. Anne
0: of Green Gables.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yes. Uh, of course you don't know who that is. You were no not idea. a girl who grew up in the 70s and 80s and 90s. I
1: also just was not a girl, yes, period, like, regardless saying. of when I grew up.
0: <laughs> um, anyway, so that was fun. My second place was Rudyard Kipling. Huh. And third place was Arthur Conan Doyle.
1: Well, that's interesting.
0: I know. And apart from Lucy, I didn't have another female until 11th place, which was Willa Cather, one of my favorites. So I felt very excited about that. (laughs) Huh. Um,
1: so did um, you put some of my stuff in? I did not. Okay, well then this is what we'll do. I will put some stuff in, and we'll report back next week, uh, because I'm very curious because I want to try a few different books.
0: I think that's a good idea. And see
1: yeah. what and see if there's a consistency that I don't see right. in my writing. Yeah, or if, uh, if you I'm do, all over you the do map. have to
0: clarify. Um what genre it is that's fine and mostly by genre I think he just has age rankings there like you know non-fiction fiction right literary fiction whatever uh they did have he did have YA which I was excited to see
1: okay
0: (laughs) um but I do I mean have you do you feel like you write like someone in particular Um... or do you hearken back to a writer that you think (laughs) of
1: all the writers I admire um not no that's not correct (laughs) Many of the writers I admired and emulated when I was younger were writers who wrote in a different era. And if you mm. were to write like, you know, I can appreciate the quality of their work, but if you wrote like them now, yeah, people would be like, well, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Like, if you wrote like, like Edgar Allan Poe
0: right.
1: now... People would be like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, if you wrote like John Milton now, nobody would get it. There's a famous story about a, an author, a writer who was tired of being rejected all the time. And so took some famous novel and retyped it himself huh. and sent it in. Of course. And it got rejected. Uh-huh. And then he wrote back to all these people and said, look how stupid you are. Like this was this wonderful work of literature and you all rejected it. That just goes to show you don't know anything at all. And they made the point. No, this was a great work of literature fifty years ago. Right. Like, or three hundred and fifty or years however ago. However many yeah. years ago it was. And, you know, We've it's not on. the sort of thing that the market would be interested in now. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, no, I I don't I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to sound like anybody. Well no,
0: I don't I mean I don't I think very few people are trying yeah. to sound like someone else. But um I I mean, in a writing group or anything like that, has anyone ever said to you, Your stuff reminds me of XYZ? Because huh. I have been told that with some contemporary writers whom i admire i
1: i I can't think of i can't think of anything it's not to say it hasn't happened i just nothing coming to mind okay
0: well we'll put the link in the show notes we'll do barry's next week
1: we'll talk about mine next week in the meantime listeners go to town do yours tell us us who you came out to be curious
0: i am going to try it with some different texts too that i've written and see so that was neat so staying in the writing vein um, I think we've talked about her before on the show, but there's a YA author who has some good tweets, and I wanted to raise this particular thread that she did in mid-October. It's Krista Desir, and um, it was basically a whole Twitter storm on if I knew then what I knew what I know now. Ah. Uh, so if I knew then as a debut author what I know now as an author with several books under my belt... Um, and she goes on to give some examples. So I want to raise some of the ones that she tweeted that sure. particularly resonated with me. The first one, which I thought was great, was know what your publisher's expectations are in order to be able to manage your own expectations. Whew. I know that's t- first of all, how do you do that? I mean,
1: that that is magnificent advice. Uh-huh. I don't know how you do that. Yeah. Because publishers will give you hints mm-hmm. as to their expectations, but I mean I gotta say, I've never flat out said to one of my publishers, "What are your expectations for this book?" Um, I,
0: w- I would love to hear from maybe, someone who has.
1: Maybe I should. Yeah. Um, it 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 feels like almost a dangerous question I to know. ask. Like, and I think you know, like what
0: if they say mm, not much? Yeah. I mean,
1: <laughs> you know, and and I think they don't want to say that, of even course. if that's the truth. And that's why it's it's difficult to find out what their expectations are. Yeah. Um, but that's great advice. Yeah.
0: And she's talking specifically about things like. Do you know the print run, do right. you know the marketing budget, right. or even but also, the marketing plan? But also,
1: if you know the print run and the marketing budget, um, you still need to know what that means in context. Right. You know, uh, when, when Fanboy and Goth Girl was about to come out, um, I asked my editor what the print run was, and she told me. And, of course, the problem I learned after the fact is everybody inflates their print runs. Do they? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the rule of thumb in the business is if somebody gives you a print run, subtract a third from it. Whoa. And I don't know when she told me the print run, if that was real or not, like, I don't know if she was giving me the real number or the inflated number, <laughs> but I told a friend of mine who'd been in publishing for quite a long time and he said, and I have no idea if this is true or not, he goes, oh, like, that's how my, that's how many copies sold of the first book of Harry Potter when it first came out. Huh. Um, obviously before it blew up right, and, yeah. and all that. And I was like, oh, and that made me feel good that they of were course. printing that many copies, yeah. you know? Um, so, but you need some sort of context for that. You know, publisher said to you, you know, oh, the first print run is going to be forty thousand copies.
0: Well, I'm, I'm a different case. I sure. work in publishing, so I know of some of the print runs and yeah. things. And yeah. yeah, but if I didn't work in publishing or before, right? You know, if you're an author and you don't have like, any idea, yeah, I'd be like, is that good? Is right. that bad. Yeah. yeah, is that more than just the five people in my family who are going to buy the book? That <laughs> right. sounds exactly. good to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um the second thing she ta- says or I should say the second thing that really resonated with me, she's talking about YA in particular, and she says YA can go one of two ways. Either the publisher is marketing it towards schools and librarians, or it's a commercial book. Mm -hmm. Know which route your book is taking and play to that. Mm. And I was like, that's a really good point. There are obviously exceptions. There are some books that straddle both and are obviously extremely successful with both avenues there. But... um, but I thought that was really neat. So do you ever, uh, I mean, do you ever know like who they're targeting with their outreach for your books?
1: I mean, ideally you want them to target everybody. Of course. Um, most of my books, I think, have been aimed more at the trade, which for those who don't know, that's what we call bookstores. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always had a really good following and a very faithful following in in schools and libraries. In in the institutional market, which I'm grateful for.
0: Yeah, uh, I also think that's a market that most people, not in the industry, don't realize. A even don't, just don't pay any attention to. Right. Let alone understand the
1: importance of that. Yeah. Well, it's because it's not something you can show to your family. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like when when your book comes out and you can tell your grandparents, it's at any bookstore in the country. Uh huh. That means something. They can go, oh, I can go into a bookstore and I can find my grandkids' book. If you tell them, I'm huge in schools and libraries, right. that, that they can't just walk yeah. into a high school and find your book. You I know? also think
0: that um, a lot of people think, oh, so it's a textbook? Like the second you say schools, <laughs> That's true people too. are like, oh, you but, wrote a textbook? But
1: I mean, I think of somebody like, and I, and I hope you wouldn't mind me talking about this. I think of somebody like Gordon Corman. Um, who for a very long time was enormously successful in schools and libraries, Uh but in bookstores, not so much. And obviously that changed, but he built a tremendous career, a wonderful career, a very successful career, almost exclusively in schools and libraries before the, the bookstores took note of him.
0: Right. Yeah. That's, that's very true. Um, she had a couple of other gems here that I want to raise. So she says, often your favorite thing is the one the fewest people read. What you love in a personal (laughs) way has no bearing on what your readers
1: will love. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like that goes, I mean, yeah, I feel like that's obvious, but
0: right. Um, and then this again, um, unique to YA and of course unique also to all children's books is that your fan base has a lot of turnover right? because they age, they age out most of the time. Uh, so your fans may outgrow you, and that is okay. And I think that's really important for long term. I
1: think I, I think it's interesting. She doesn't mention the flip side of that, which is that your your always fans outgrow you. But yeah, you're always replenishing. Yeah. Your your source of fans, you know. Yeah. Um, you, you have 18 year olds graduating, but you have 14 year olds coming in.
0: Yeah. True. Um. What about you? If you knew then what you know now, is there like one? One item that jumps out at you.
1: Um, yeah, I, I I think I would, if I could go back in time, I would, I would caution my younger self not to confuse enthusiasm with action.
0: Ooh, that's really
1: good. Because it is entirely possible, indeed, likely, indeed, most often the case that your publisher will be incredibly enthusiastic about your book gush about it, tell you how brilliant it is and how brilliant you are, and you would assume that that would translate to some sort of action on their part. Mm-hmm. It does not always translate into some sort of action yeah. on their part. Sometimes, and it's not that they're lying, they really do love the book and mm-hmm. they think it's brilliant, but for whatever reason, for whatever internal business reasons...
0: Mm-hmm. And it usually is an internal It usually is an internal reason. business mm-hmm.
1: reason, yeah. They cannot translate that enthusiasm into some sort of action. Yeah. And I think... There have been times when I've been really crushed because a publisher spoke very highly of a book and and I felt great about it as a result. And then they didn't really do much for it. And I sort of sat there going, but I thought they loved it. Yeah. And they did. It's just that didn't mean anything yeah. at the end of it. It didn't mean anything concrete. And uh I I, I wish I had known that before. It was taught to me in brutal fashion, (laughs) you know, I I would much rather have been told that than learned it through experience.
0: That's a good one, though. Good to keep in mind. Okay, so let's move into parenting. Yes. Yes. So a friend and listener of the podcast, shout out to Melissa Walker, um, referred me to a Facebook page run by a woman named Janet Lansbury, who is a parenting expert if you will.
1: Okay.
0: And um, so I I followed her on Facebook, and she gives really great advice, and um, I found it a really nice community, and I just recommended it to some other people um, who are new parents as well. And uh, there's something that she talks about a lot, in this one particular essay the other day really struck me, and it's also something that, as we prepare for our next kid, I've been thinking a lot about. because I'm sure, as, as many parents of more than one child do, you and, I, you and I have been talking a lot about things that we'll do differently and how
1: we're going to get it baby. right this time. Yeah,
0: I know. The first one's always an experiment. Yep. Second one, you perfect things a little bit. <laughs> um, anyway, so basically, what she's saying is leave babies alone. Uh, now, not alone in the house. but Oh, damn. <laughs> I thought
1: we were going to go see Dr. Strange.
0: <laughs> but so she she quotes Magda Gerber, who is the founder of an organization called RIE, which is Resources for Infant Educators, um, which sounds very dry. But every time I read about it, I'm like, oh, that sounds great. So um, anyway, so what Magda said was, take the mobile off the bed, take care of their needs, and leave them alone. Hmm. And basically, it's this whole idea that Babies, and particularly newborns, she's talking about up to, I think, about six months, um, should really be doing, they should have the freedom to self-direct their playtime. So instead of constantly shoving things in their face, let them be and let them observe the environment around them. Okay. So she calls it blue sky thinking, and it's this idea that the babies then will will learn how to the babies then will learn, A, how to occupy themselves. B, will start to observe their surroundings and learn about them in their own time. So um, so it's really interesting because I've been thinking about this a lot because a good friend of mine who lives here, here in town has a three- or four-month-old baby. And he's such a, you know, he's such a chill baby and he's always smiling and happy. And this is her second kid. And, yeah, like she just kind of... Let's him hang out. Yeah, and I keep watching this in awe because I remember when our daughter was born, I really did feel this immense pressure to be occupying every second of her. Oh yeah, of her day.
1: I felt bad if I wasn't interacting with yes, her in some way. Yes, I felt guilty. Yeah,
0: and and Janet and Magda both say you should be taking advantage of the routines in your day. So, uh, bath time, bedtime, diaper time, feeding time. So, those routines, those things that you have to do with your baby every day, multiple times a day, um, you should be paying 100% attention to the baby at that moment, during those moments. And if you're doing that, the baby is actually getting all of her physical and emotional needs met huh. because you're concentrating solely on her multiple times throughout the day. Right. Brief, sure. Um, You know, it only takes a minute to change a diaper, but 20 minutes for a bath or whatever. But that's enough for them. And the rest of the time they should be exploring on their own and you should be leaving them alone to do such. So it's fascinating. And I was just really thinking again about how like, I guess, how do you find the balance between all all of those messages of like, read to your kid from birth, read to them every day do this, do that, hold up a toy, track, make them track their eyes back and forth. You know what I mean? Like all this stuff, right. uh, tummy time, this and that versus like, let them be reactions. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. Just...
1: I don't know. I mean, there were times, particularly once you went back to work mm-hmm. and I was alone with her a lot, there were times where she would be like very focused on something. Yes and and very serious and i would sort of feel like oh this isn't good like she's she's so serious she must not be happy
0: oh right so yeah i, I remember would, these conversations so i
1: would interrupt and sort of make her laugh mm-hmm. and she would laugh and smile and giggle at me so it wasn't like she was upset that i was interrupting yeah. and then and then i would think well was that the right thing like was she learning something crucial in that moment was something important developing right. and i just stepped on it uh-huh. because it bothered me that, she, you know, she seemed she, seemed she pensive. Seemed so serious and yeah pensive. And even now, you know, today, before you came home from work, she was playing. And uh, she was just sitting on the floor playing and not particularly not doing anything particularly interesting. She was just moving a toy from one side of herself to the other. Just like <laughs> sitting in one position and moving it from her left to her right and that, then back, her back and forth. That's her favorite activity. That's what she does. And I was sitting on the sofa watching her. And... Bored out of my skull because that's not fascinating. And I, so I pulled out my phone and checked my email real quick. Yeah. And I thought, what am I doing? Like, I should be interacting with her. I should be doing something with her. And I thought, no, you know, when she comes home from daycare, I play with her. And then she just sort of wanders off on her own at some yeah. point. Like, there's a natural point at which she decides, okay, I had some fun with dad. I'm going to go do my own thing
0: mm-hmm. now. Yeah. And I mean, the that's truth fine. is, too, that at daycare, she gets a lot, a lot of stimulation. Oh, sure. So I think it's perfectly. Not only should should we understand, but I also think we should sort of encourage those alone time moments right. when she's home with us because exactly. I, sh- I think she needs that downtime. Let me just say, if she's anything like either of us, she needs that downtime.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and then speaking of, we're recording this on Friday night, and yes. this is the first week that she has been full time at daycare. Yeah. She went five days in a row for the five first time. Five days in
1: a row. Yep. We've just
0: adjusted her schedule. Um, and partly this is in preparation for the new baby.
1: Yes, because um, we didn't want to start sending her full time when the new baby came and have her think. My oh, parents kicked yeah, me. Yeah, my parents kicked me out of the house because there's a new kid. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um. So how do you feel? Because you were just so our listeners have clarity. Um. You were with her Mondays and Fridays, and then she was at daycare Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Right. And this is the first week where you had five days. Although I should say the first day didn't really count because we picked her up early because it was Halloween right, and we spent and we the day together. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, it was very similar to how it felt when we first put her in daycare, where there were these days where I was like, where is she? Um, <laughs> and, and and quite honestly, some, some guilt on my part, yeah. because especially when we first put her in daycare... I was not doing a lot of working. Mm. I was doing stuff around the house. I was going to say it was a was, lot of I was, unpacking. I was, and... I was doing a lot of house stuff, yeah. which does not feel like work and did not feel like a good enough reason to put my kid in daycare. <laughs> like it's one thing if it's, oh, I have to work to make money. Okay, I'll I'll make the sacrifice. I'll put my kid in daycare. But if it's, oh, I'm, you know, arranging my books in alphabetical order today, <laughs> that's a little less uh, – less uh, understandable so it's sort of it it felt a little similar I mean last night we're recording on a Friday which I would have had her but I didn't Thursday night I got that I every Thursday night I would get this moment of oh it's just me and her tomorrow Mm -hmm. what am I going to do with her yeah you know I want to think about my day I want to plan my day and and I was like oh I don't have to think about that because she's not going to be her day
0: is already planned Yeah,
1: her day is already planned yeah um and, uh, you know, and I was actually enormously productive <laughs> today. I mean, ridiculously productive, <laughs> which was a good feeling. It, it It's tough to let her go. It is also tough not to let her go. Yes. I mean, there are times where you're just like, I just need five minutes and she won't give it to you. You know,
0: I remember we used to say when she was sleeping, when she was new, Oh, we're so glad she's asleep. And then five minutes later, we would look at each other, literally, and be yeah. like, but we miss her. We yep. wish she was awake. Yeah. So you really do want all of it and none of it when you're it's, it, it's
1: tough. It's <laughs> tough. I mean, I, I don't know how I would feel if I didn't, if I wasn't working. Yeah. Um, if, if like, I don't know, if I had a massive blockbuster and I decided to retire from writing and, <laughs> and live a life of leisure, I don't know how I would feel then. Yeah. Um, because... There were times when I had her on those couple of days where I felt like, oh, this is interrupting what I need to do. Right. And then on the days where she would be gone, I would be like, my work is interrupting her. <laughs> and so I, I never felt like like it was even or balanced in any way. Mm-hmm. It always felt like something was missing.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, and I don't know what that would be like if if I didn't have this sort of work imperative. Yeah. But... I, you know, it it's tough and it it's a little weird because I used to have time with her um, those two days a week. And also, she goes to daycare earlier now. Yeah, we, we
0: bumped up we her bumped time. We bumped
1: it up so that I can drop you off the train station. Mm-hmm. Cause because I'm too
0: pregnant to walk. You're
1: freaking pregnant. <laughs> um, and so now, I used to get an hour or so with her in the morning, too, right. before I would take her to daycare. I don't get that anymore. Basically, it's get up, get ready, and go. Yeah. Um, so I really, I get a couple of hours with her. In the afternoon, which is nice. I, yeah, lo- I like those couple of hours.
0: I, you almost appreciate it more, right?
1: Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think so. Because, you
0: know, I always think about how like, I come home from work and it's that hectic dinner hour immediately. Yeah. It's getting her together, getting her food together, bathing her, um, settling her down, and then putting her to bed. And it always feels very hectic for me. Yeah. I shouldn't say always because it doesn't anymore. Because now I, I feel like I enjoy it a lot more because I don't see her that much in the mornings. Right. So it's like, I I really look forward to that. Those hectic hours now when I get home, which is nice, but it is funny. You were talking about how now that she's not here during the day, when you are, you, you keep getting those pangs of like, wait, where is she? What's she doing? Is she safe? Um, I worked from home one day last week and she was at daycare, of course. And I was doing the same thing. And then even when you were gone a lot in October, uh, I was working from home a lot because I had to do pickup and drop off. um, But then I would be here alone, of course, working, and I would – the house would feel so cavernous and empty. Uh Uh-huh.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, And you were the one who said, what are we going to do when our kids are in school? Like, how do parents deal with this? Yeah, seriously. Isn't this a weird feeling? Like, you send your kids to school. My mom always used to joke, like, how weird it was that we send kids to college. Like, they're your kid, and then literally one day you're like, okay. You're moving out. See ya. And, <laughs> and my mom used to be like, "Isn't that strange? Like, why do we do that? And we insist they do it at age 18." And you know, she huh. it was very funny.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I look forward to that, so it never. Well, it, the kids yeah. look forward to it, yeah. but I
0: think it is weird as, um, from the parents' side to be like, "There's a day where my kid is going to not live with me," and that is super weird.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, they call it. The, there's a reason. There's an empty nest syndrome.
0: Yes. You know? Yeah. There's also a reason that things like FaceTime exist. And I want to talk about screens.
1: Ah, oh God. (laughs)
0: Segwaying into FaceTime. Um, no, this, uh, this is good news. I'm actually really glad this happened. Partly selfishly, because it makes me feel a lot better. But, um, the, uh, Association of American Pediatrics basically just changed their guidelines on screen time for kids.
1: And they said, strap VR goggles onto the kid and just let them go go crazy. Snapchat
0: accounts all the way around. Yeah. Um, No, but they lifted their no screens under two rule, which they had been steadfastly sticking to the past few years. Um, But they explicitly call out the importance or I should say not the importance, but they explicitly highlight that they do believe FaceTime for babies um, does have benefits Mm. because obviously they want to build those connections between babies and their family members who are not nearby. So um, so they do count that as the exception. So that was good. Uh, And the other thing is that I I really will, again, we'll put a link to the AAP's new recommendations because they're fascinating. We are parents who let our two-year-old play with the iPad. And by the iPad, I mean my iPad.
1: Yeah.
0: She doesn't touch yours. And um, there's one thing she does on there, and that is watches her YouTube videos.
1: Sure educational youtube videos
0: well here's a I, I was gonna say i mean first of all she's adorable because she'll say ipad videos right now <laughs> which is very uh, if you have a two-year-old you know you know what that sounds like um but so yeah so the truth is i and i i'm trying to remember how it started because suddenly she has this library of youtube videos for kids that are all about colors and shapes and yeah. weird songs and whatever and um And she's obsessed with them, but the truth is she has learned a lot from them. Oh, yeah. She truly learned her colors and her shapes from these videos. So this is the part that jumped out at me with the AAP guidelines, which is they say, avoid solo media. So they say for 15 months to 24 months, um, limit screen time to one hour a day and avoid letting letting the kids do it solo. Uh Because what they think really makes the difference is... If there's someone watching with the child who is repeating what the video says oh. and making the connections for your child, Got it. much like it's almost like you're reading a book instead sure. of just letting the kid watch something. Yep. Yep. And that's what we do with our daughter. So mm-hmm. she watches these videos and I am sit there with her and I'll, I'll repeat what they say or I'll highlight different things on there, you know, things like that. And I think that's really helped her.
1: Right.
0: All this is to say, um. Obviously, we're not perfect. And there are many times where I just give her the iPad when I need to get something done. Um, but I just really liked that they clarified how those videos can be helpful and how apps can be helpful, provided that the kid isn't just watching them alone for hours at a time every right. day.
1: Well, and it's interesting. I just had a conversation with my mother today who was FaceTiming uh-huh. with, with Leia, and my mom mentioned that... That uh, a friend of hers has a grandchild, but the parents will not let the grandchild use any screen at all. How old not is a, the grandchild? I year and a half, maybe. Okay. Not even to FaceTime the grandparents.
0: Wow.
1: They will let the grandparents see the kid on FaceTime, but they won't, let but the they kid... won't turn the screen around. Okay. And because uh, they're so worried about screen time, so now I'm gonna. Make sure
0: that my mom sees this (laughs) link and sends
1: it to them, and maybe the grandparents will actually be able to, uh, you know, show their faces to the kid, which (laughs) would be nice.
0: Yeah. So we're just about out of time here, so I wanted to grab a quick update from you on the big censorship hullabaloo from last week.
1: Yeah, um, so the the book uh, manga man still has not been pulled off the shelf, but the the mother apparently is pushing forward ah. with the procedure necessary to uh, to get it removed. Um, <laughs>
0: that sounds like a.
1: It sounds like a surgery, like an abortion. It? Yeah, well. <laughs> um, so what's interesting to me is uh, somebody forwarded me today a link from a local newspaper uh, talking about this, and it was just the most egregious. Thing I've ever seen so clearly biased um, against you against me yeah, okay. describing the book in the worst possible terms and then and then almost as though to prove that there is universal disdain for this book and it does not deserve to be on shelves. They quoted an anonymous two star review from Amazon.
0: Oh my gosh. Which, That's probably your favorite thing because you love when news anchors read aloud random tweets oh on God. on air
1: yeah, <laughs> to illustrate
0: the public's opinion. Yeah.
1: So you know, like th- this is how we decide if a book should uh-huh. be removed from a, a school shelf is based on an Amazon review,
0: an anonymous an anonymous Amazon, Amazon,
1: review. Amazon review. I mean, are you kidding me? Wow. So I'll put a link to this uh, news story in the show notes um that i had been laughing about this whole thing but that just infuriated me so um yeah if 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 they do uh if they do end up getting this pulled from the shelves i am going to donate boxes and boxes of this book yeah to every library in a 10 mile radius Seriously. of this town
0: yeah yeah cool so there you go all right well thank you for the update and that's it for us right now, too. Thanks so much for listening. Visit us online at writinginreallife.com and follow us on Twitter at W I R L podcast. And if you're on iTunes and if you listen to us via iTunes, make sure to subscribe to us and rate us while you're there. Have a great week, everyone.
1: Bye.